0: Welcome back, everyone. I want to make sure uh, everybody here, were you at one of the masses this morning and you heard me uh, speak the uh, first part? Yeah, most of you have. So I'm, I'm, there's a the reason why I asked that is because it, it's basically the first part of my talk when I uh, uh, don't, uh, you know, ha- when, I, when I have to shrink it at a, on Sunday Masses. I, I usually just give the first part, and then we have like an afternoon like this. And then I continue on from where I left off. Uh, and I'm, I'm happy to see uh, so many of you back, especially the men. You know, a lot of times on Sunday afternoons in the fall, I, I have what they call uh, a lot of football widows. But I'm glad to see so many of you men here. And I think part, part of it's because I think the Vikings have their bye week. <laughs> they're, they're not playing this week. But and they're doing pretty well. I, I they're five and one. But uh, and you know I, I come from near Chicago, so we're kind of a rival, uh, with the Bears. But uh, I know it when back back when I was growing up in the nineteen seventies, you guys had Fran Tarkinson and kept beating up the Bears. You know every every time. But uh, we had Walter Payton. He would try to pound back, but uh, it was just hard to overcome that good quarterback. Um, but anyways, you, you heard me say that Lucia, when she saw this image completed, she said that this is the best likeness of Mary that she has ever seen. Uh, but I didn't tell, tell you how she concluded that phrase. She said, but nothing can really compare to how beautiful Our Lady truly appeared. And we know that. We know that as beautiful as this image is, it pales in comparison with that wondrous vision that stood before those three children. And in her memoirs, Lucia tries to convey to us something of that incredible vision. She said that you would have to imagine a crystal goblet, fill it with the purest, cleanest water, and have the brightest burning rays of the sun shine through that goblet. Well, what would happen Well, that goblet, it would just radiate beams of light that would shimmer in all directions, wouldn't it? And Lucia and her two younger cousins, St. Francisco, St. Jacinta, they were absolutely convinced that that light that was radiating from her, it wasn't just some heavenly ornamentation of beauty. No, they said that light was God. God himself radiating from her. They became convinced of this at a very important and precise moment in that first apparition, May 13, 1917. That moment came after Our Lady asked those children a very heavy question. She asked them, Are you willing to offer yourselves to God and accept all the sufferings God would send you in order to save souls and make reparation to God for sin. Those children said, yes, we are willing. And Our Lady had an ominous response. Then you will have much to suffer, but the grace of God will be your comfort. Now, Lucia said, as Our Lady said that second phrase, the grace of God will be your comfort. She moved her hands down like this. Now, we've all seen images of Mary that look like this, right? We call this image Our Lady of Grace. Well, Lucia said as she made this gesture, the light that was already radiating from her, she said it shot like beams from the palms of her hands. Those beams of light penetrated the hearts of those three children. They fell to their knees, and they prayed simultaneously this prayer, which Lucia said it just welled up within them, coming like an impulse from that light. O most holy Trinity, I adore you. My God, my God, I love you in the most blessed sacrament. Now we know something very powerful happened to those children in that moment. Now remember, they have right before their eyes the most wondrous sight of any person they've ever seen. They just referred to her as the beautiful lady. Yet you have to say that the moment that light penetrated their hearts, they became oblivious to that wondrous vision that was standing right before them and were enraptured with the content of that light that was coursing through them. How do we know this? That prayer that they prayed. That prayer acknowledges God in the most profound mysteries that he has revealed to us about himself and handed down to us in his church. The first, the mystery of all mysteries, the Holy Trinity. God is one God but three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he has taken upon himself our human nature so that he might communicate his own nature with us, his divine life with us, in the sacraments, most especially the blessed sacrament, the Eucharist, here exposed on the altar. Well, one month later, Our Lady appears again as she promised those children. By this time, Lucia, especially, is suffering a great deal it's primarily because of the apparitions lucia's mother does not believe her she thinks she's making up a story you know trying to get attention like sometimes children do and so her mother's punishing her quite severely she even tries to force her to confess to the to the priest that what she is saying is a lie she drags lucia down to the parish you tell him this is a big lie Of course, Lucia could, and she just explained to the priest what happened. But her mother's opinion shapes the opinion of her whole family, all of her siblings. So for this entire month, that ten-year-old girl is feeling very alone in her own home. And she was the youngest. She was used to being like the cute one, the adorable one. He would even put her, you know, dress her up in cute dresses and put her on the table, and she would dance. Now, you know, she was 10 years old. By now, they weren't doing that anymore. But she was still the youngest. She was used to being spoiled and doted upon. Now, if anybody talks to her, they make fun of her and trying to bring her back to her senses. So when Our Lady appears the second time, now June 13th, after having promised back on May 13th that she would one day take all three of them to heaven, Lucia expresses She's ready to go. Will you take us to heaven now? You know, implied in that statement. I think one month of suffering is pretty good. Of course, she doesn't say that. But Our Lady's response to her does not console her at all. Francisco and Jacinta will be with me soon. But, Lucia, God wishes you to remain here a while longer to make me known and loved because God intends to establish in the world devotion to my Immaculate Heart. Now, we know from Lucia's response to this calling, she's not at all excited about it. I'm going to stay here all alone? And Our Lady very gently, No, my daughter, do you suffer much? I will never abandon you. My Immaculate Heart will be your refuge and the way that will lead you to God. Now, already on the, in these first two apparitions, I could pretty much summarize the whole message of Fatima. Of course, there's, there's going to be a whole lot more to happen. You know, The next month, July, the children are going to be told the secrets, the prophecies about what's going to happen in the world. In August, the children will be arrested by the mayor and threatened to be boiled in oil if they do not reveal to the mayor what those secrets are. Of course, they don't tell him anything, but they, they were scared. They thought they were going to their death, and a most painful death. They make him look like a fool. In October, the great miracle of the sun will be witnessed by more than 70,000 people there gathered at the kova. But already in these first two apparitions, when the word is just starting to leak out, the summary of the message is right there. In that first apparition, that heavy question that Mary asked those children, are you willing to offer yourselves to God... And accept all the sufferings God will send you in order to save souls, make reparation to God for sin. You know, Lucia later confessed that she had no idea what she was getting into when she said yes. But she also later explained after she matured in her faith and her understanding that what she said yes to is nothing extra that every single one of us who have been baptized and believe in Christ are not already called to do. Lucia just later referred to it as our baptismal duty. You see, when we were baptized, it was into the life of Christ, the life of self-offering, priests, prophets, and kings. Well, that priesthood part, so, of course, it's not the ordained ministerial priesthood, It's what we call the common priesthood of all believers. Jesus is both priest and victim. The priestly offering that he makes is himself. And it's his great act of love and mercy for us and on our behalf in reparation for our sins to his Heavenly Father. And he calls all of us who believe in him and have been baptized to reciprocate, to do the same in gratitude. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, that's the English translation of a Greek word that we all know Eucharist. To gratefully enter into holy communion with our Lord's own holy sacrifice upon the altar, upon the cross, offering ourselves in union with Him. But to call this the common priesthood is not to say that this is easy or even something that's commonly fulfilled. The the church is well aware this is something extraordinary, something heroic. And in our Catholic theology, heroic virtue, it bears witness to supernatural grace, something that is given to us by God to help us overcome our own fallen natural tendencies to fear suffering and to worry about the future, that we might freely abandon ourselves in complete trust to God's will for our lives. I think it's especially for this reason that every time Our Lady appeared to those three children at Fatima, she didn't ask them to do this other thing. She told them, Pray the rosary every day. Pray the rosary every day to bring peace to this world. Pray the rosary every day to bring an end to this war. She said that in May, again in June, again in July, again in August, again in September, finally in October. In fact, in October, she didn't just repeat those words. All season long, she never told the children who she was. They, of course, asked her. Everybody wanted to know. Our Lady's response was, In October, I'll tell you who I am and what I want. Well, after the season-long buildup and all the anticipation, among all the titles that Our Lady could use to identify herself, in the litanies that we pray to Mary, there's so many titles. But among all of these, she says, I am the lady of the rosary. Have them, us, pray the rosary every day to bring an end to this war and the soldiers will soon come home. What is it about this little devotion? It takes, what, 20 minutes? If I make it a habit, I pray it every day. It's so powerful that it can end wars and terrorism, and violent protests in the streets, bring peace to homes, families, communities, peace between nations, and ultimately, in the end, as she promised at Fatima, an era of peace, a long time of peace will be granted to the whole world. What happens when we pray the rosary? I think the best answer is given in St. Luke's Gospel. Because there, on more than one occasion, St. Luke describes the heart of Mary. When she was raising her son, she was observing the events that take place, she was overhearing conversations. St. Luke writes, she treasured all of these things and pondered them in her heart. And what do we do when we pray the rosary? We meditate upon the mysteries. We call them mysteries, but you could just as well call them the most significant events of the gospel, of the lives of Jesus and Mary. St. John Paul II said, When we pray the rosary, we enter into the school of Mary. We learn to treasure those things she treasured, ponder upon those things she pondered, And what is she not going to be able to do for us in these intimate 20 minutes a day that we spend with her? And when we're praying the rosary, we need to think about it that way. We're spending time with her. She referred to it that way. She told Lucia, keep me company while meditating upon the mysteries. Keep me company. What does our Lord say? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So as we're calling upon her name in the Hail Marys, meditating upon the mysteries, we're not just doing some kind of mental exercise. We're actually and truly drawing near to the treasury that is her heart. And she's going to take that effort that we make even further. Remember what she told Lucia in the depths of her suffering, a 10-year-old girl? She said, My Immaculate Heart will become for you a refuge. A refuge. And the way that will lead you to God. What is a refuge? That's a strong word. That's a place I can go to. I can hide in, find protection, comfort, consolation. And the way that will lead you to God, in these intimate 20 minutes a day that we spend with her, she's going to obtain for us all the graces that we need to become ever more faithful to what her son describes as a rocky, narrow path that leads to eternal life. To take up our cross each day and follow after him. Or as she asked, to be willing to accept all the sufferings God intends to send us in order to save souls, make reparation to God for sin, This has been called God's peace plan from heaven. But we can see it's not a new gospel. It's the same one. But it does highlight something of the power of the intercession of Mary. You know, St. Louis de Montfort said three centuries ago, true devotion to Mary, it's the surest, the shortest, the quickest, the most perfect of means to holiness. And we see this confirmed at Fatima one century ago. By this means, God is going to bring peace to this world and salvation to souls. So it's a great privilege to, to be made privy of this message. Right. And it's really the secret of peace, even right here, interior peace. Peace isn't what happens when everything goes right for me. You know, I don't have a care in the world. I just won the lottery or something. No, peace is what happens when it doesn't go right, yet I accept it. I don't get angry, I don't get frustrated because I realize its value I embrace my cross and I offer it back to our Lord and really what's happening is our our Lord himself is actually suffering within us that's the way St. Paul described it I live no longer I, but Christ lives in me. I make up in my own flesh the sufferings that are lacking in Christ's body that is his church and God takes what I offer him and he can apply a grace to somebody I might never meet in this lifetime. They can live on the other side of the world. They might be about to, who knows, like blow themselves up in a marketplace and they have a moment of clarity. That's the way it works. Remember these words? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, sir? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, the first time we hear about this man named Saul is at the stoning of St. Stephen. All those who put St. Stephen to death, they all laid their cloaks at the feet of a man named Saul. And we read in St. Saint, Saint Stephen, as he's being stoned to death, he offers his soul to God and he prays, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. He's praying specifically for those who were putting him to death. And we later read that this man named Saul, on the road to Damascus, re, you know, obtains this amazing grace of conversion. And as he says himself, you know, God had mercy on him, the greatest of sinners, to be an example—example example of what? Example that he can convert anybody, right, at a moment. And he, it, it, it's impossible to imagine, you know, that. And we we live in the... This is what, the diocese of St. Paul, that's Saul, became St. Paul, the conversion of St. Paul. It's impossible to imagine what the church would be without that conversion happening, right? He wrote a third of the New Testament. And so can can God do something for people who are kind of like our little miniature persecutors, people that, you know, Throw out those little digs at us because we come to church or pray the rosary or whatever. Yes, pray for them. Offer it up. Offer up that suffering. Smile at them. Pray, pray, offer that up. And there's bigger, bigger persecutors out there too, right? You know, just pray. God's going to bring about a mighty awakening and conversion in this world but it requires us to respond to Our Lady's message. Pray. There's a little more to it. Up here, if you haven't already taken one of these, on the front is this. It says, Say Yes to Our Lady. And there's four points here. The first two I basically covered. Daily duty: You're offering your, your baptismal duty, every day. Offer your soul, yourself to God, and accept all the sufferings God will send you to save souls, make reparation for sin to God. Lucia said, everything else that Our Lady taught was in basically to help support us in doing this daily duty. The second, pray the Rosary every day to bring peace to this world. Third consecrate yourself to Our Lady and wear the brown scapular of Our Lady of Mount Carmel as a sign of that consecration. Now, I have one on me now. You don't see it because it's underneath my clothing. But it's a constant reminder to me, a sacramental sign to me that I've given myself to her and she gives great promises to those who wear it devoutly. Most of all, whoever dies wearing this brown scapular Will not suffer eternal fire that's what she told St. Simon Stock who was the general of the, of the order at the time back in 1251 he's praying for the survival of his order they had to flee Mount Carmel in the Holy Land because of the expansion of Islam he they find themselves in England and he's praying to our lady you know how can how can this order survive out, outside of uh, Mount Carmel and our lady takes hold of his brown scapular Whoever dies wearing this brown scapular will not suffer eternal fire. Well, he took that as a sign that his order will survive, but the church saw this benefit as so great that it needs to be extended to every baptized person. So through like conversations between popes and generals of the Carmelite order, they came up with the idea of the confraternity of the order of Mount Carmel. We can all become like little Carmelites. It's, so you, you can be enrolled in the brown scap. Most of you probably, especially if you're, you're older ones, were probably enrolled at your First Holy Communion. That was very common to do years ago. And just, if you were, all it's all necessary to do is throw another one on. The blessing from that enrollment carries throughout your lifetime. You put it on. It's a sign that you've given yourself to Our Lady, and she promises to obtain for you the grace of final contrition. That's what that grace is. It's a a grace that you cannot merit on your own. It's a gift from God, and especially a gift that, what St. Bernard of Clairvaux said, devotion to Mary is a sign of predilection, a sign that you're going to somehow make it to heaven, at least squeak into purgatory. And she promises also those who devoutly wear it on the first Saturday after your death, she's going to come to purgatory and take you to heaven. So you're going to have a short purgatory, too. So these are great benefits. But it, it requires that it's not it's not like a lucky charm. You know, it's, it's a, to be worn devoutly. So what Sister Lucia said is that the scapular and the rosary go together. So you, you wear it as a sign that you've given yourself to Our Lady. Our Lady protects you, obtains for you the graces that you need, and you pray that rosary every day. Helping you, Basically, you're taking on the mind of Our Lady, the, which is the Holy Spirit, the mind of the Church, and you will grow in holiness. She's going to obtain for you the graces that you need. At least you'll get sal- salvation. You know, Like I said, squeak into purgatory. That's that's uh, the the promise, the extent of the promise. So, uh, finally, on the f- the fourth is what's what's called doing the um, the five first Saturdays of Communions of Reparation, and it's a very spe- specific type of reparation, reparation for the blasphemies or offenses committed against the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And what I like to say is that. It's it's not Mary looking because she's offended, like, you know, people get offended. She doesn't get offended like, whoop, you know, like us. But it's an offense against certain particular teachings or, uh, you could say, a rejection of teachings about her that cause people to not even realize that she is our spiritual mother, right? Uh, some of those teachings they were listed first that she's the mother of god that she was that she's perpetual virgin that she is immaculately conceived that as mother of god she's also our mother and she's she you know so it's it's especially helpful for children as they get older to realize or as are growing to realize that they have the spiritual mother that they can turn to and also offenses committed against uh, her images so these are the the, the five first Saturdays re- relate to these five points making reparation for offenses that are committed against her so that she, by making this reparation more and more people will realize that she is our spiritual mother and then she, then she can have more action activity in their lives help bring more and more people to our lord and so these these uh this is the, the fundamental basic message of Our Lady of Fatima. By this means, God is going to bring peace to this world, salvation to souls. So we get, we have a little more time here um, with our Lord, with Our Lady, and I, I I again I don't want anybody to be to leave. If you haven't yet come up close to the image of Our Lady that Lucia says is the best likeness that she has seen, I also want to mention uh, I, I don't talk about this a lot because we try not to get sensational about the statue itself, the image itself, Mm -hmm. but we have a a very good artist that periodically will refinish the statue. And he first, the first time he did, it was many years ago, back in the early 90s. And he was very intrigued by the eyes. The statue has glass eyes, which is common for Mm -hmm. artists to use when they, you know, they'll carve but they. It's hard to do eyes, so they just basically buy these glass eyes and they install them into the statue. But he was intrigued, but he never saw glass eyes that were so beautiful and realistic. And he said there's a way that you can read a serial number and you know, if you had to order a replacement, say it's, oh, one got damaged or scratched or something, you can re, you know, order a replacement. But he said if I did that, what would come would not match those eyes. He said God did something to those eyes. Uh, all we can think is that when when the Bishop of Fatima blessed this way back in 1947, he prayed that Our Lady's presence would accompany it. So all we can think is well, that that blessing was very powerful and that her presence is especially in the eyes. But there's also I, I, I kind of attest to this myself and I don't want to sound like some kind of like weird mystic, but Sometimes you can look at her, and it almost seems like even like her face, there's just like a a thin veil that's covering a real-life person. I don't know. It's hard to explain. It almost seems like at times her expression can change without being being able to point to any change at all that's happening. But just sometimes she, she seems maybe joyful, other times maybe sorrowful. It's inexplicable. But I'm I'm not the only one that has noticed this. Many, many people that have spent time with her, uh, noticed the same thing. But it's just part of the the grace of this statue. She's had she's been in the presence of you know literally millions of people coming to her, praying, laying petitions in here. By the way, this card you can. You can tear off the front part so you can remind yourself of what Our Lady is asking. And then you can, on this side, you can write a petition to her, you know whatever intentions you might have for your family or loved ones, and you can place it in the box. So we, we, I think we have about a half hour more. Then we're going to conclude with, uh, with benediction, and then they're going to, Reposition. They're going to put Blessed Sacrament away, and then we're going to process out with the statue. So I think we're going to have about a half hour more.